Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Hello, Memphis. Welcome to your weekly Meanwhile in Memphis episode. I am Anna Mullins-Ellis with New Memphis, and I'm here in the studio with my teammate, Christy. Good morning, Christy. Good morning. How are you? I am doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, Well, we have an exciting lineup today for this episode. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is in store for our listeners today? I am very excited about today's episode. On today's show, we are going to be diving into the Memphis music scene with two people who have really transformed the way the industry works in our city. Um, We will have James Duke, who is the founder. Sorry, James Dukes. He has an S on the end, guys. Um, He is the founder of Unapologetic. And then we also have Tanya Dyson who is the executive director of Memphis Slim House. And I am very, very excited to have them. They are two, like I said, just people in the music scene. And they they make me feel very inferior <laughs> with my music knowledge. And like you talk to them, they do so much. I was going to say, like, <laughs> yes, they're musicians, but I feel like there's so much more. That's what I'm they, saying. They like they are, have this like holistic vi- vision for yes. what an artist in our community is. And I think both of them are, yes, musicians first and foremost, but also uh entrepreneurs and community organizers and just really fascinating people. They truly are like pillars in the Memphis community. Like they just, they're entrepreneurs in their own right and they're musicians and they're all those things you just mentioned. And it's just kind of fascinating. And so, like I said, guys, I'm very excited if you can't tell. Um, So their voices might sound a little familiar to the people listening because they did speak at our Celebrate What's Right music in the key of E. And so we actually played that episode in January over our little break hiatus for the listeners, all you guys out there, if you caught that episode earlier Our holiday January, break episode. Yes. And so they are going to be here and just kind of, we're going to revisit that a little bit, but mostly talk about like where things lie right now in 2021. So it's, it's exciting. exciting. No, <laughs> again, you, I honestly have very little to do with who our guests are. I will be honest <laughs> to our listeners and tell them that all of that magic is done by Christy and our team over at New Memphis. So these are two fantastic people. Um, and, you know, I think oftentimes when people in Memphis talk about the music industry, they're talking in the past tense. Yes. And what I love so much about these two individuals is not only are they obviously like working musicians in a contemporary sense, but I think that they are really shaping what the future of Memphis music can and should be. And that to me is, again, yes. just exciting how how inclusive their work is and how they're not just making music in their own right, but they're empowering and enabling others yes. to create music locally and to explore, again, like our music our music history and our music potential. So a very, a, a well, I'm just I'm props to you and the team for getting <laughs> these folks in the studio. We appreciate Shout it. Shout out Anna Thompson if you're yes, listening. Indeed. All right. Well, let's, uh, I mean, now that we have this uh, incredible setup, I feel like we should just jump right in. I know. Let's go. All right, guys. James Dukes, a.k.a. I Make Mad Beats and founder of Unapologetic, is here with us. He is here to talk about all things music and to revisit his 2019 TED Talk, Someone is Waiting on You to Be You. Hello, James. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, Before we get into the topic of your TED Talk, for all those listening, I want you just to give a little bit of info about who you are, aka you're also I Make Mad Beat. So like, where did that come from? And also talk a little bit about Unapologetic. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm artistically known as I Make Mad Beats. I'm the CEO and founder of Unapologetic, which is a creative label for musicians and visual artists. Um. 
Yeah, I am originally from Memphis, specifically Orange Mound. Uh, I got my professional start start at uh, Quad Studios right in Manhattan as a producer and engineer. Some awesome. of my first sessions were with uh, Solange Knowles, Missy Elliott, Ludacris. Um, and just, a, just casual, <laughs> casual names. <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I got started in the game. Uh, and then I started doing a whole bunch of music for um, TV, uh, movies, and commercials and stuff. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, and then eventually I moved back to Memphis to, uh, to come and help my dad out. Uh, he was, uh, he was dealing with some issues and, um, yeah. And then when I got back here, I found purpose being here. It's interesting because when you're, when you're coming up here in Memphis, my number one concern was like, I just want to not be in poverty. And then, and then, (laughs) and then, and then it was like, I want to not be in poverty my way. Right. Right. So I wanted to be creative. And then when I come back to Memphis, and when you specifically when you see neighborhoods like Orange Mound, where the surrounding neighborhoods have been invested in and have, you know, have gotten the attention that they deserve, and Orange Mound hadn't, uh, it bothers you a bit. And so you, you start to see that. You start to see the what's missing here in the music industry, um, and you you know you find purpose and wanted to build something here, and that's where Unapologetic came from, really. Awesome. Yeah. Like that story is just so powerful. And like at New Memphis, we want people to stay and develop the talent here. Yeah. And you're like an amazing example of someone who did leave, but you came back yeah. and reinstilled that passion in yourself. I actually, I actually saw a tweet you tweeted oh, yeah? recently and it was talking about how like lucky you felt to wake up every day oh, yeah. and you get to support yourself and your family. Yeah. Doing yeah. what you love. Like, what does that feel like to wake up every day and just, like, be living your dream? It's, I mean, to be honest with you, I could cry right now thinking about it. Like, it's, um, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't think I'll ever get used to it. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard to describe. I'll just say this, you know, it, it just felt like so much was against me uh, as a kid. You know, I, you know, and it's interesting because I went to White Station, right? So yeah. a part of the mound is zoned for White Station. Okay. I was also in the optional program too. So my both my brother and I, we we went to White Station. Okay. And uh, you know, it's interesting going to school with people who aren't in your same social economic uh, right. lane. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So uh, so you know, you're learning about poverty and you're learning about uh, you know social issues, et cetera, in school. And then you look around and like you're the only kid in poverty in the class, right? right. You're, the, <laughs> you're the only one. You're like something's not like the other. Yeah, <laughs> you're it's just, like it's just me out here. You know, I'm the only one with free lunch. I'm the yeah. only one riding the bus. I'm the only. You know what I'm saying? And it, it really, uh, you know, it, it, I think it it just drives in like, you know, this this idea earlier early on in your life of like your value right. and your self worth, right? That like. Well, you know, somebody's got to be in poverty. James, it's you. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, and then you, you kind of bring that into that, into your right. identity. It's just like your mindset is like molded into that almost. It, without you even being aware of it. Right. Right. It's just that you're less than, you deserve less than, you have less than because of those things, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and you just, you just, that's, that's who you accept you are. Right. Um, and so to get to this point where I don't have less than. Right. And I am able to provide, you know, not just, you know, in common ways, but I think with opportunities even for other people, right? Um, that's, like I said, I could cry about that every day. It's, it's, uh, it's, 
it feels more unusual than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an amazing feeling, and I I never take it for granted, and it it it's what gets me up every day to give my all. Awesome. Yeah. I just when I saw that tweet when I was like scrolling through, I knew you were going to be on the show, yeah. and you just popped up on the feed actually, and I saw that, and I was like, that is. It just hit me, and I wanted to be sure to ask you about it because I was like, you can tell that, like, you just have this passion for what you do, but you're also so grateful. Uh, <laughs> um, and, like, hearing yeah. you talk about, like, how y- your mindset was molded, feeling, like, kind of kind of like an other yeah. growing up. Like, Absolutely. Is that – do you think that is where your passion for music kind of started as, like, an outlet for that? Or do you – like, where did that come from? Where did your passion come from for music? It absolutely came from that. Okay. I, I, I uh, you know, the first rap group I was ever in, we were called The Strangers. Uh, because oh, that's we a good were, name. Yeah, because we <laughs> felt we were always strangers. You know, we were always, you know, there's, there's a little bit more about me that's odd. Like, you know, I'm, I am, my mother's Guyanese. She's a South American woman mm-hmm. uh, who was raised in England and oh, then wow. came to the States or came to Canada and then came to the United States and had me. Um, and so because of that and because of a very diverse background between her family and then my dad's very Southern family, I have a very interesting uh, cultural makeup. Yeah, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> to say the least. Very, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you're in school, specifically here in Memphis, um, you know, I, and if I'm being super, super real, um, if when you're in the hood, <laughs> Sometimes to be extremely different is, will work against you. I get right? what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so a lot of times I had to oppress or suppress those differences and try to fit in. Um, but through my music and through anything I created, I got to really be me. Yeah, you had that outlet to Absolutely. just really like be unapologetic, not to be, yeah, be yeah. funny here, but like to be unapologetically you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it, I could alone in a room, I could be me in ways I couldn't be me out in public. Again, I went to school. I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, to walk to the bus, I had to make myself appear tough uh, so, so that, you know, nobody would mess with me. Right. Right. But then as soon as I got to the school, I had to make sure I didn't look tough, you tough to at all. You had to change that persona. Like right. you felt like. Because if I look, I was the kid from Orange Mouth. Right. Like I was, you know, if I looked too tough, I would scare somebody. And that happened. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so. Well, that like brings up the point, like hearing you talk about like your experiences and like all of that. I know you speak very openly about having social anxiety yes. and kind of, you know, your battles also growing up with like stuttering and mumbling. Did you ever think that with all of that and all of this, like you would ever be like this public figure that is always like having to talk and like <laughs> that people just turn to for inspiration? Uh, you know, if there is a stronger word than absolutely, that word, no. <laughs> like I never imagined uh, this on any level. Um, you know, and, and then I think what's even crazier is that uh, crazier is just that when I tell people that I used to be you know, stuttering and, yeah. and, and heavy, unable to talk to people. It's that nobody believes me, um, which means I did a good job. Yeah, but <laughs> you, did a, you did a great job at like concealing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, only the people who've known me for, you know, six, seven, eight yeah. years. Remember. Remember that. like, <laughs> oh, he never spoke at all. He would never say anything to anybody, you know. Um, 
But, you know, I, again, like I, I just I try to use that as an inspiration of what you can overcome, you know, and, and the, you know, the anxieties and fears that you have, you know, that if you put your mind to it, you can move past it. I think that like is perfectly said because as someone who also grew up very quiet, very shy, super mm-hmm. anxious. I mean, I'm still a little anxious, mm-hmm. but like mine manifests now as I talk too much mm-hmm. to try and like make myself feel, more comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really cool to hear you talk about like how your transition happened. And so now like you're a public facing figure, but also now you've been on a TED stage, yeah, which is a whole different level of public. Crazy. Um, so I just kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, how did you feel when they came and approached you about doing a TED talk? And also how did you, how did your mind start turning? Cause your mind works in a very cool way. <laughs> and so like, how did your mind start turning about what you were going to get ready to do? Yeah. so all right so this is an interesting story um love interesting (laughs) stories hit me with it this is an interesting story so we were at i was doing the celebrate what's right yes uh you know uh, our music in the key of e yeah Yeah. that's right that's right i was on that panel and if i'm if i'm being super super honest we love honesty (laughs) hit me with it i felt again i felt so out of place on that stage and it, it had nothing to do with um you know, I mean, shout out to Leslie who was moderating and mm-hmm. she's great. I love Leslie. Um, but like, for example, you know, the people who were on that stage at the time, they had already been like funded and they had already. Right. And, and, and if, we're, if I'm being super real, again, super honest about it, like I'm a musician slash artist, meaning like I came in here with a hoodie and like, <laughs> you know, and everybody else they had the, the shirt tucked in, the, the suit jacket, the like, you know, this very... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a business person <laughs> and they wanted to talk about things like, you know, quarterly earnings and, you know, things like that. Right. And, and my, my passion is just so. Your passion is the art. It, 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 it's, yeah, and it's community. Yes. It's community. I care about people, you know, um, and, you know, I care about impact. So anyway, I was saying things on the stage that I know was making some people uncomfortable in the audience. <laughs> and even Le- Leslie even said that. She was just like, yeah, you know, innovators, they make people uncomfortable with their, with you know, with the things that need to be yeah. changed and et cetera. I remember walking off the stage when it was done <laughs> and I had so much anxiety because I remember thinking, you know, I have this business, I have these artists, I have these people who are working with me. I'm hoping that I didn't make like somebody with a whole bunch of money so right. uncomfortable <laughs> to where they were like, we were thinking about working with that guy, but you know what? Never mind. You know, because yeah. for, and then I'll be honest, for me, I would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do represent a whole bunch, a whole of, other bunch of other people. You're like the figurehead yeah. for a bunch of others. Yeah. So I was super nervous, like, oh man, I think I blew <laughs> it, you know, saying, ah, you know, and I walked off the stage and this woman walks up to me. She says, hey, have you ever heard of TED, like TED Talks? <laughs> this woman was Anna, yes. by the way. So <laughs> she walks up to me and she says that. And I was just I like. I love that way you say it. It's like she's a mystical figure, <laughs> like just coming out from the <laughs> Sorry, that, that's how I tell stories. <laughs> I love it. No, I'm like picturing it. It's great. I love it. Yeah. And she asked me, have I, you know, have I heard? I was like, yeah. And she was like, would you like to do a TED Talk? I was like. Uh yeah, you know. It's like, can you say no? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like that would be cool as hell, you know. <laughs> and uh, and she said, okay, cool. I'm I'm gonna send you an email. And I didn't believe it. I didn't even tell anybody about right. it. I, I went home and I was just like, You're like I got to make sure this is an actual thing that's happening before I say. Anything. Yeah, yeah. And then I I uh, you know then I got that email and I was like, wow, this is real. 
Um, yeah, so that, I mean, you know, I, I once I found, once I realized it was real, my next thought was like, what am I going to talk about? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and then I realized I had a lot to talk about. It was more about distilling down what it mm -hmm. was it that I really wanted to say in that moment. And so, I, you know, for me, that's that was my story. Awesome. You know? yeah. Like, you, everything you say is just like, you can tell that you're a storyteller. <laughs> and I know, like, your focus is music, but I believe musicians are storytellers. That's yeah. what they do. It's just in a different capacity than, like, writing down a novel. Like, yeah. it's just lyrically, musically, same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so hearing, like, everything you did to prepare for your TED Talk, I am very excited for people to get to hear it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kick you over to James's TED Talk right now, guys. James Dukes, a.k.a. I Make Mad Beats, gave a TED Talk in 2019 called Someone is Waiting on You to Be You. And here it is. Nervous as hell, but I'm gonna do this anyway. How does a black man wearing a mask who has spent most of his life stuttering, mumbling, suffering from high levels of social anxiety end up on a TEDx stage talking to hundreds of people, maybe thousands via the internet? I believe me being here is a direct result of purpose, finding it, accepting it. And it all started when I had the audacity to, this is gonna sound crazy, but be me. Let me explain. My dad told me years ago, if you wanna know more about people, know more about yourself. We're all more alike than we are different. But I thought I was very different. It often felt like the world would never stop reminding me of how different I was. And you know, as a kid, fitting in is everything. I was born to a Guyanese-born, British-raised mother and a Memphis-raised father. My parents got divorced, and by the time I was in preschool, my father had custody of my brother and I here in Memphis. First grade, I remember my first grade teacher constantly reminded me of how different I was. Every time there was something to send home to your parents, she'd say, now take this home to your mom. And it doesn't take you long to look around and notice you're the only kid in the room who isn't taking this home to your mom. At least that's how I felt when no one else has an issue with what she's saying. To be fair, I don't think she meant anything by it. She was just used to more common or traditional circumstances for young kids, like being raised by a mother. But when you miss your mom, things like that sting and left me feeling alienated, alienated, different, different, and different made me quiet and afraid and uncertain, vulnerable, vulnerable, to the point where I never corrected my teacher, never asked her to stop saying that. I just dealt with it. Fast forward a few years, at age eight, my whole world had changed. Full transparency, my father had become addicted to drugs, admitted himself to a rehabilitation facility. And after living with our grandmother for a brief period of time, we moved from our house into an apartment building. And this apartment building changed my life. 
I was afraid of my new home. In and around this place, I regularly saw violence, drugs, guns. Every Friday evening, my dad would attend these meetings. Rooms filled with people who introduced themselves with their first name only, and when they stood up, no matter how long they'd been sober or clean, they'd follow their names with, and I'm an addict. See, I was nine, 10, all the way up to 15 and 16 years old, attending those meetings with my dad. And I don't think the adults knew how much I paid attention. But a lot of those times I was overhearing adults speak to each other, exposing some of their most vulnerable moments to each other for the sake of, well, maybe their stories would help each other, not feel so alone, not feel so alienated. So these people were uncovering the darkest moments of their lives to help heal themselves and aid the healing and progression of others. They told their stories when they didn't have to. They could have sat quietly or not even shown up. I spent a decade watching my dad work his ass off to eventually lift us out of poverty. And he became the greatest role model a young black man can have because I got to see a man fall and rise and lift his family, believing in himself and believing in God. I wouldn't change a thing. I eventually moved to New York to pursue my dream of becoming a professional music producer. And like my dad, I worked my ass off. I wasn't so good at the networking and building relationship stuff, but I'd outworked the best of them with ease. I was still quiet, still felt alienated. One evening, I was in a recording session with the legendary rapper Busta Rhymes, and he said to me, if you want to make it in this industry, you got to first figure out who you are, what you are, and then break the knob turning that up, go past 10. I was still in college at that time, so after the session, I went back to my dorm and looked into the mirror for a while. Who am I? What am I? And how do I break this knob? Turning that up. And why is that so important? It gave me anxiety just thinking about it. Years later, I was back in Memphis. I was a different person when I came back. I'd had success as an entrepreneur, producer, and engineer. And I was back in the place where my memories were often tied to frustration and feeling misunderstood. I was with a group of people having drinks and we were having a discussion. I can't remember what we were talking about, but I do remember I had a perspective that I thought for sure would deem me odd, unusual, etc. I just moved back, so I was really hoping to make some friends. So I initially shied away from even responding. Well, eventually I consumed enough liquid courage to where I had to share my thoughts. What did I have to lose, right? I spoke up and initially there was silence. Seconds later, two people stood up and said, finally, that's exactly what I've been thinking this whole time. And they were excited that someone spoke out and provided this perspective. And I would have never known someone else even felt like this. They wouldn't have known either. Multiple people would have had the same thoughts and ideas and same feelings sitting right next to each other. And if one person didn't speak up, we would have left that gathering feeling alone in our thoughts. Driving home that day, some things came to mind. The importance of speaking your truth, the importance and potency of being sincerely yourself, things that I had pondered before. 
but something new came to me that night. It was a new way of looking at it. We've all heard that we should be ourselves for ourselves as a part of valuing ourselves and being confident. That night I said to myself, but I think I also need to be myself for someone else, anyone else who needs to know they are not alone. I don't know about you all, but it's a lot easier for me to dedicate myself to an idea when the focal point of it isn't me. For example, someone says, hey James, get some rest, you'll need it. I may or may not go to sleep. But if someone says, hey James, get some rest, your son needs the best version of his father in the morning, I'm definitely gonna get some sleep. Framing it as for someone else gives me purpose, and I can't let that person down. Secrets don't start movements. Uncovering them does. Someone is waiting on you to be you, extremely you, awkwardly you, effortlessly you, vulnerably you, unapologetically you. Someone will draw strength and confidence from you being you out loud. Someone will learn to disagree and not assume everyone thinks the same by you being you. Not an easier to digest, understand, and safer version of you either. The real you. And as a music producer and entrepreneur, I use this every day. I often have clients who are nervous or intimidated about the creative process. All it takes is someone in the room to be okay with being awkward or not perfect and show the not so pretty parts of making a song to tear down those walls of anxiety and set up an artist to get the most out of his or herself, to be okay with being vulnerable. And in vulnerability, we find us. We find how we connect as people. We find out that we are more alike than we are different. We find community. And we get to the root of issues faster with an understanding rooted in empathy. The next time you can speak up and you don't, consider this. Maybe your story isn't even for you anymore. Maybe it was given to you to share to others who need the strength, support, and clarity you've gained. Maybe it's for someone else and you're denying that person of what they need to grow and become. You're allowing them to feel alone. Someone is waiting on you to be proud of yourself. Someone is waiting on you to not simplify yourself for the sake of easygoing conversation and be comfortable in being a complex person like we all are. Someone is waiting on you to be unapologetically black in a room full of white people and be completely okay with not pulling out the hello, my name is James white voice to appear less intimidating. Someone is waiting on you to be unapologetically fill in whatever your sexual preference is. So how did this kid who stuttered, mumbled, had extreme levels of social awkwardness and anxiety for most of his life, end up on a stage in front of hundreds of people, maybe thousands via the internet? Well, purpose. purpose. Knowing my story, the dark parts, the successes, the vulnerable parts can help someone else. Gives me the strength I need to drive past my own fears. Someone out there has been waiting on me to be me, and I won't deny them. You shouldn't either, even if you're nervous as hell.
Thank you. All right, guys, we are back from hearing James Duke's TED Talk. I know you guys are feeling very inspired right now because I remember how I felt the first time I heard his talk, and it's just <laughs> insane. And I truly don't even know where to start. <laughs> Your talk, I know I've shared this with you already, but it's truly one of my absolute favorites, not only yeah, in Memphis, but just TEDx in general, because I feel like the TEDx format mm -hmm. can sometimes feel very formal, yeah. right? Like it takes you a minute, like the people get on the stage, you like hear what they have to say, you start to form a connection. Mm -hmm. But you, I know the audience, if you're listening, you can go to TEDx on YouTube, just type in, I make mad beats, TEDx, and his talk will come up so you can get the visual that I'm about to <laughs> talk about. Mm -hmm. But you had a performer on stage before you walked out. Yeah. And he hit a note. Yeah. And like instantly I was like, uh-uh, I'm done. <laughs> I was like, I'm about to hear something that is going to like change the way I feel about things. Mm -hmm. And so like you come out. And the first thing, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this, so, but the so, first thing out of your mouth <laughs> is, I'm nervous as H-E double hockey sticks. Yep. And I found that so refreshing. <laughs> and what made you decide to start that way and, like, have someone on the stage, like, talk me through that process? So, okay, first off, I just want to give a shout-out to Cameron Bethany. Um, he's the guy who was singing Perfect. on stage. Yeah, he's he's the very first artist signed on Apologetic. Uh, and he just has an amazing voice. Uh that for, I'm telling you, that first yeah. note, I was like, I'm done. We're ready. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I knew I'm I'm such a team oriented person. I really am. Like it's it's I'm gonna be real. If, if we weren't in a pandemic right now, yeah, I probably would have came through with like four or five people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, seriously, I am such. We would have had to find the extra mics. <laughs> absolutely, somebody would have been sitting in the corner yeah. over there. Like, hey, that's what's up. Um, I'm such a team oriented person that I just I just I you know when I have big moments in my life. They just don't feel big unless my team is there. So right. I had to figure out a way to to make my team a part of my TED Talk uh, because they played such a big role in my life. Um, so that's that's how my team ended up on the stage with me. In terms of starting off, like, you know, with that statement. Yeah. Um, again, like when I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about in my TED Talk, uh, I, I wanted it to be as me as possible. One of the mantras um, or we, we, you know, the idea of unapologetic is it's where vulnerability becomes art, right? I love that. And our genre, we always say, is vulnerability and sincerity, right? So we truly believe that, like, talent is talent. That's cool. But what we're trying to turn our knob up the most on is vulnerability and sincerity. And so what could I walk out there and say that would be the truest thing in that moment? Yeah. And it was that I was nervous. And that's why, that's why I decided to start it off that way. I feel like sometimes when you announce the mm -hmm. elephant in the room, like, yeah. I'm nervous, it almost makes that nervousness that you're feeling dissipate Absolutely. by, like, owning it. Absolutely. And I think that may be why that resonated with me so much because yeah. I was just like, he just walked out there on that stage. <laughs> and knowing what I know about you just yeah. from past things you've done with us and things I've read, like, mm -hmm. knowing that you suffer from anxiety and things, I'm like, I know that I would be about to pass out <laughs> if I had to walk out on that stage. So, like, yeah. you made it okay mm -hmm. to admit, hey, I'm nervous, but I'm doing this thing anyway. Right. Which I think is such a powerful message, not only to adults, mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm a fully formed adult mm -hmm. most most days. <laughs> um, but, like, to the kids yeah. that are going to watch, you know, it's okay. 
It's okay to be nervous and you can still push through and make these powerful statements and things happen. Absolutely. And it's just like, I get chill bumps when I think about it. Um, Absolutely. But you mentioned something about turning the knob up just then. And you also bring this up in your talk about another casual, casual name none of us know, Buster (laughs) (laughs) Rhymes, about like how he was the one that kind of told you, you know, you have to figure out who you are and break the knob of that by turning it up to 10. Yeah. And it forced you to ask yourself, you know, who am I? What am I doing? And how was that just a defining moment in your journey to becoming what what you are right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just for full, full transparency, yeah. I think in some ways I'm still in that moment, right? I'm yeah. still figuring out who I am and how to turn the knob up. But specifically right when it happened, um, I was I was in this transitional moment where – I had so much that I wanted to do. I had so many ideas. But at the time, it was it was hard to find people that would move like me to make them happen. Right. Right. And so like finding I was in New York at the time and like finding people who wanted to go and get it like I wanted to right. go and get it was hard, <laughs> you know, and um, and so. Like that's a that's a that's a particular burden when you see yourself as a background guy. Right. When you see yourself as more of an executive producer. As a supporting character instead of the main role. Right. If if you feel like you're the main guy, yeah. Well then you don't I mean having people around you is optional. Right. You know what I'm saying? But when you feel like you're a supporter of main guys, mm-hmm. then you're kind of looking for main guys. And if you can't find them, you feel like you're stuck. Right. I think it was then, it was that question and, 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 and how I answered it that forced me to realize I'm not as much of a background guy as I think I am. A thousand percent you are not. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard to switch that narrative in your brain Absolutely. when you feel that way. Absolutely. And it, it, that was the beginning of like, before that moment, I think I was Nemo, which was my childhood nickname, <laughs> you know, and then I became I Make Mad Beats yeah. right in that moment. For sure. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I feel like I keep saying I love that after everything you say, but that's because I'm literally everything that comes out of your mouth. I'm just like, good grief, man. It's just like <laughs> you just telling your story like that. And you mentioned this in your TED Talk as well. Mm-hmm. You talk, you touch on a message that is like the telling of your story isn't for you right. anymore. It's to benefit other people that could also learn from your story. And I feel like that is so, so powerful. And like, I just want to know, like, for those listening, and also I think this is such an important message for everyone, but especially younger people, like for those listening, like what do you do every day to make sure you're living your truth and telling your story to the best of your ability? Like how do you overcome the fear of maybe doing that? I mean – First and foremost, surround yourself with the right people. I think that is A plus advice. Yes. <laughs> surround yourself with the right people. People who will know when you're shrinking and say, hey, you know, I think we've all seen this this little clip where this basketball player lifts another basketball player's head up because he's looking down. Yeah. You know, you want to be around the right people. You know, it's it's a one thing I learned from my dad early on going to some of his meetings is just that like, you know. And and you can also see it in, in a, the movie, uh, the beautiful. I mean, uh, a beautiful mind, mm-hmm. right? Where at the end of his life, even as he's getting awards, he still is hallucinating. He's right. still seeing people in the room that aren't really there, right? But that didn't stop him. 
right? And there's some things in your life. I remember my dad told me, one day you're gonna you're gonna break something or you're gonna hurt something, and it's not gonna go away. Right. Right. It's just gonna you're gonna have to figure out how to deal with it and how to maneuver around it for the rest of your life, you know. And um, and so for me, I think while I'm not necessarily giving up mm-hmm. um, the fight against it, um, there are a lot of things born out of poverty and scarcity mindset that still trouble me to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wake up every day aiming to defeat it every day. And I, I find unique ways to remind myself um, of my self-worth, of my of the fact that, you know, and even right now in this moment, it's hard for me to say it, but I'm going to say it, yeah. that I am brilliant, that I am capable. Um, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, it's, that, that's one of the cool things about social media. Sometimes I'll, I'll make something and I'll make a beat or whatever, and I'll post it up there, you know, and people from, you know, New Zealand or whatever right. will be like, Yo, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And 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 not not that you need a whole bunch of external you don't yeah, validation, yeah, yeah, validation. But it does help, right? But then I find I try to find ways to make sure that I feel that within myself because yeah. that's all that really matters. You know, people can compliment you to the death if, if you don't if you don't feel it yourself, if you don't acknowledge it yourself. Um, those compliments are worthless. You know, so. Like, I, I just try to find ways to do that. I have practices. You know, I try to take better care of myself now, knowing, like, like for example, we're in a pandemic, but, you know, I'm still putting on cologne and stuff. Right. Because, like. <laughs> it makes you feel good. This is this is a part of my regimen right. of taking care of myself because I'm valuable and I should be taken care of. You know, things that I probably had an earlier, I had a hard time recognizing earlier on in my life. Well, I think that's an incredible powerful message to leave off on um because like you said you are brilliant um and i know it's hard to say it to yourself sometimes but my man you (laughs) are just amazing like i don't know how to else to say that like whatever the words are the synonyms for that (laughs) you embody that truly and you give so much to memphis and our community through the work that you do um so before we leave just i want you to tell the people where they can find you um on social what your next product you know just what they can do to support you yeah um you can find me pretty much on every platform at i make mad beats all one word i would prefer it be all caps but (laughs) it it works either way Uh, so you know all caps um or at weareunapologetic.com where you can find out more about Unapologetic and the team and the things that we're up to. Uh, 2021 is going to be a big year for us. Uh, our, our motto is one way or another. He's um, got it on his hoodie right now, guys. It's yeah. very well designed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, and we had to adapt a lot. So this year we plan on uh, doing what we do best, which is disrupt. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, Guys, follow James, a.k.a. I Make Mad Beats, on all social that he just listed. And also check out his TED Talk on TEDx's YouTube channel. Again, you just go type in TEDx, I Make Mad Beats in that search bar. He is the one and only that is going (laughs) to pop up. So, James, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here with us. I'm so glad that not only to get to meet you for the first time in person. I know we've worked in the same circles, but we haven't met one-on-one, but also just to give, let the people hear your story and what's going on with you. I am so grateful again to have you. It's in an Memphis. honor to be in here. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.
All right, guys, welcome back. We have Tanya Dyson here in studio with us. She is the executive director of the Memphis Slim House, and I am super excited to have her here and continue this conversation. Um, Let's just kick into it, Tanya. So, like, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do. Um, sure. Well, um, my name is Tanya Dyson, and um, I tell people I am a, the wearer of many hats. That's you like are. <laughs> my, my first and foremost title. Um, but I, I am a singer songwriter, and I always start with that because that really informs everything else that I do. Because uh-huh. um, it all is in music, and that really yeah. sparked my love, um, particularly for Memphis music. And um, listening to and singing Memphis music um, really sparked my passion to get behind it and really um, one teach the legacy of Memphis music because. We have an amazing um, legacy here um, and amazing history here that artists really should take the time to build off on. So um, I do that. I work, um, you know, of course, as the executive director of Memphis yes. Collaboratory, <laughs> like you said. Um, and I just do events. I started um, years ago, created a company called Neo Soulville, again, um, that wanted to focus on um, promoting the legacy, but really wanted to focus on who I call the soul children, which is the artist that came out of that legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, being an artist myself, I realized at that point um, that, I, and I've always been like this as far as the the phrase, the rising tide floats all ships or floats all boats. I always mess up phrases. <laughs> but um, looking at my career as an artist, and I realized um, looking at like the Atlanta scene and the Philadelphia scene and, you know, and just all these different musical yeah. cities, how um, all of the artists came up. You know, at the same time by, you know, helping each other by, you know, and just being for, you know, there for each other with the projects and stuff like that. So I kind of came up with this brainchild of Neil Soulville to really focus on um, the future of Memphis Soul. Because it's like we have a lot, of, you know, a lot of platforms here that teach us about the history. But who are the people that are doing the music now? Who are the new creatives? Who are those people? And so starting that company, you know, over almost 20 years ago um, and then moving into the work that I do with Memphis Sam Collaboratory, um, um, as it, you know, it being a nonprofit, it really enables me to help continue my mission that I, my lifelong mission, in a sense, to promote Memphis music, um, past and present, and to yeah. make sure that people know that they are dual legacies, in a sense. So we have the legacy that we that we stand on, and then the one that we're currently building now. So wear many hats was yes. <laughs> not a lie yes. at all. You just heard all of that. That's like. <laughs> When do you sleep? (laughs) You know what? So so many people ask me that. And I sleep like I get a guilty amount of sleep. Like sometimes I wake up. Make us feel worse about ourselves. It's it's like I I sleep. I get get plenty of rest. I drink plenty of water. Um, I think the thing that helps me do all of the things I do is in a sense, it all feels like one big job because I work with music. Yeah. Um, I work with the people that I know and love. I, I, um, I work with people that I've read about and admire Mm -hmm. and, you know, that aspired to meet and actually got to meet them. So it's like one big job because all of that kind of works hand in hand. So whether I'm singing about music or talking about it or helping another artist create it, it all feels, you know, the same. So I don't really get tired that much. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's obviously you are energized by your passion. She is. She work. gets so excited. I love it. <laughs> well, and I love what, you know, to me, Soulsville, just as a community, is so representative of what you just said, that it is yes. a, a, a confluence of music history and preserving it and uh, sharing that story with others. Yes. But it's also so much about, like, building from that platform. And so exactly. Whether that be the school or the uh, collaboratory, like, just finding ways to both engaged but also support i assume right artists. and that was the inspiration behind creating the soulsville usa festival mm-hmm. again um to show one for the neighborhood to have some type of community pride because um 
not only is Soulsville important for Memphis or for Tennessee or for the United States for yeah. that matter, um, I feel like it's the global pulse of, you know, the of the soul, the driving force in a lot of the music that we hear. A lot of the things that we hear today are influenced by what came out of that neighborhood, you know, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and even before that. And that's one of the things that always um, gets hidden is the fact that prior to Stax Records, um, prior to High Records, which is right down the street, you know, from Stax, um, there was an amazing music history, you know, in the Soulsville neighborhood, of course, Memphis Slim. Um, was born and raised there, but not just him. You had Johnny Ace, who was considered one of the, you know, first big rock stars um, of the of his time. Um, lived right down the street. Um, not too far from that is Miss Lucy Campbell, who was known, um, who kind of set the set a trail um, for women in music, um, gospel music in particular, and charting that. She was also a huge educational aspect. Um, not only do we have a, a historic musical legacy in the neighborhood, but then we also have our foot in civil rights, you know, one by being um, one of the neighborhoods that has the city's only HBCU, um, only mm-hmm. historically black college slash university, which is Lemoyne Owen College, mm-hmm. which is my undergrad alma mater, Okay, um, by the way. And then, of course, we, you know, right around the corner from that on, what is that, Walker and... Mississippi is the home of where People's Grocery was. And then, of course, um, mm. if you know what happened with People's Grocery, that actually gave foot and helped um, Ida B. Wells with the founding of the anti-lynching campaign because, you know, the owners of People's Grocery were lynched um, because of an altercation um, that they had with code enforcement officers. Um and they ended up getting lynched and she wrote about it. And that was the launch of the campaign that, that, of course, you know, changed history as we know it. And so all of that is not only just rooted in Memphis, but it's rooted right there in the heart of Soulsville. Mm. So not only, you know, are we known for music, now you kind of see in a sense of the music that you heard coming from that era and how, you know, the staple singers and how Otis Reddy could sing about respecting yourself and respect and, you know, all these different things. It came from that neighborhood and just the sense of pride. Um the pride and just, um, just the you know again the pride that comes from that neighborhood and everything that's being done and everything that continues to be done. You know our, our kids over at Stack. I say our kids because you know they're our neighborhood <laughs> kids, um, but they just were featured in the inaug- um, inauguration celebration. Yes. You know with Justin Timberlake. So it's those type of things again that continue to shine the light on the neighborhood to show not only are we known for the history and the history that we built and the legacy that we built, but it's continuing on. You know through our youth. And so seeing the work that we do at Slim House, the work that done across the street, you know, Stax Music Academy or Black Arts Alliance or Knowledge Quest or any other wonderful organizations that are in the neighborhood, um, they really help to to continue that. And so it's really exciting. Yeah, it's such a great demonstration, as you said. I mean, this music was not created in a vacuum. And I think being in Soulsville right. helps create the context that both it invented soul but continues to be, you know, I, Again, you know, just all those organizations you just listed, they're not all arts and culture organizations. Right. But, you know, arts and culture is so embedded in that community, but also like your, you know, the music and the art that comes out of it is also so inspired and influenced by the community building yes. and by, um, you know, the the activism and like the, the, the work that happened there and continues to happen there yes, I think is yes. such a beautiful way to see how how and why Memphis was home to this and how and why it continues to be indeed, the indeed. place where it sparks. Well, for, you know, we're, we're speaking as if everybody who's listening <laughs> understands and knows intimately the work of the Slim House Collaboratory. So <laughs> tell us, you know, if, for for those who are not familiar, don't know yeah. what you guys do, 
What do y'all do and how do you do it? Also, that name. I feel like collaboratory has to mean something. That's it like does. an interesting. It does. It's uh, Memphis Lamb, of course, his name. That's the blues musician who was born and raised there. Collaboratory is a mix of collaboration and laboratory because it, it is a space <laughs> um, for um, experimentation. Like mm. when artists get to be exposed that. and get to have access to other artists that they normally wouldn't be around. So it's the collabs that can happen between a hip hop artist and an artist that plays in the symphony. Um, someone who sings classical music and someone who plays blues like what type of collaborations could happen in that space when artists get a chance to interact with each other on a consistent basis enough to form and forge uh, relationships um, to where they can work on music and again help to progress Memphis music and so that's really what we do at some house like I said it was founded after the blues musician Memphis Slam who was born and raised in the house um, and of course he was different than a lot of the blues musicians during that time um, one biggest thing a very literate very astute businessman and you know a lot of times we've read all the stories where a lot of blues musicians particularly delta musicians died with no publishing um died broke and different things like that uh, memphis slim was a very different artist even then you know it was he kind of went against the grain where he was very business focused and he made sure that he maintained ownership and a lot of the interviews that he gave he always spoke of maintaining ownership of himself and of his you know creations of the music that he created and that was his rich you know that was his um, riches in mm -hmm. a sense and he understood that at such an early time um and then so migrating from memphis to chicago and following the blues scene that you know migrated you know that moved to chicago mm -hmm. of course um he followed there um and then he realized that um it was during a time when the blues musicians if you ever seen um what's the movie Cadillac Records with Beyonce yes. and Adrian Brody. So it was about chess records. And, you know, of course, um, the narrator that Cedric the Entertainer played, he played Willie Dixon. So Willie Dixon and Memphis Slim were... Um, Cohort, you know, they oh. they wrote together, they played together, yeah. they did tons of records, um, and so you know, at the end of the movie, they show Willie Dixon talking about how he had gotten a connection in Europe where some guys wanted them to come over to found, you know, a festival. Mm -hmm. Memphis Slim was a part of that, um, and so he ended up coming over, um, and then after he did a tour in 1963, he decided to stay. He did a, a largely successful tour there, and he made Paris his home, and then from there, um, he began to record more albums. He did a uh, um, a normal residency inside of Paris and he became a touchdown point for other black artists to come in and have a space of familiarity, you know, in, in a foreign land, mm, yeah. you know, so to speak. Um, and so we have several photos of um, one with the, the him, um, James Baldwin, um, Mae Mercer and Hazel Scott, a wonderful pianist, um, standing in front of um, standing in front of the the government building in Paris, supporting the march on Washington. We have photos of him yeah. and Nina Simone and Big Mama Thornton sitting on his living room sofa, you know, just kind of laughing and playing around. We have photos of him and Ray Charles <laughs> having dinner in you know in, in a cafe there and different things like that. Um, there's so many stories of him pulling up in his Rolls Royce. You know, parking, if you saw that the club was jumping, he'll pull up and you knew and people went home. It's like, oh, there's Slim's Rolls Royce. Let me go get dressed and come back because I know that club is going to be yes, jumping pretty that's soon. that's where I need to be. Exactly. And so he went and made, um, again, and trailblazed this amazing path in Paris, somewhere where he didn't have any family, didn't have any relation, anything like that. So what we've done at Memphis Slim, um, Memphis Slim House is take his life. And shape our mission around it. Of course, our mission is to to prepare artists um, 
not just on a Memphis level, but to prepare them to spread Memphis music all over the world, similar to how Memphis Lynn did. And so looking at his life, looking at all the things he had against him, racism, the Jim Crow South, um, limited technology. Yeah. Now, this was late 50s, early 60s, you know. So looking at his life and what he was able to accomplish then and then adding in this fact that you have access, we have technology that, you know, virtually can put you on the other side of the world in six seconds. All of these things and taking that and applying the principles that Memphis Slim applied to his life and now taking the access, you know, the ease of technology and different things and really putting that all together to the apply that to, you know, to your careers. And so that's what we work. Um, you know, we try to instill in our artists. We provide much needed access to resources yeah. um, like studio, um, studio space, rehearsal space, um, workshops and seminars, um, several that we are kicking off this spring. Virtually, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, making sure the artists are prepared with information and advocacy, making sure that, you know, as a group and collectively, we're able to speak up about different things that affect Memphis artists um, locally um, and really just being a place again, a collaboration laboratory again. So if nothing else, if none of those other things appeal to artists, being able to to be in a space with other like-minded individuals yeah. that can help build each other's career and use that synergy to build on. So that's really what we do, you know, at Memphis, at Memphis Slim House. So we have four major facets as far as our programming, um, artist development, which is what you just, what I just yeah. kind of told you about as far as what we do for the artists. But on the other side of that, we also work with youth. And so we have youth, um, youth programs, internships, apprenticeships, um, we are doing a day camp where we teach music lessons, um, lessons about DJing, just various things to youth. Um, and then they also get to um, come to Slim House and intern in a different capacity than most music-based internships because they actually learn the business. Oh, so they yes, shadow me. We've long since, you know, for years now, have worked with Memphis Music Initiative, another wonderful mm -hmm. organization that fo um, focuses on the youth. Um, they sent interns over. And the Soulsville USA Festival is was essentially built with me and five interns, five mm -hmm. teenage interns. And we run the festival. They know the festival in and out just you know just like I do and so over the past five or six years we now have I guess an alumni class of close to 30 interns that could easily run the festival right. in my absence um, or could easily go and create another festival in the neighborhood or wherever they see fit or see you know the need for it so that's the whole thing behind it so we do that you know as far as the youth education we also have um what is it? Our preservation aspect, um, which, of course, is preserving the life and legacy of Memphis Slim and not just Memphis Slim, but also the Soulsville neighborhood and just um, our oral um, oral story archive or our oral history archives. Just tell the stories of different things. Um, we're working on one that we'll be dropping this year. Um, it's the oral history of Memphis rap. And so that'll be our first big archival. Oh, and then, so fun. we'll be collecting stories on Memphis rap and how it started. So starting from the 80s up till now and getting those stories. And so, again, Memphis is so full of music yes. and just the legacy from the church to the clubs to everywhere in between. It's so many stories that can be told. And, you, you know, a lot of those people that did a lot of that stuff, a lot of those session musicians and stuff that were involved are still alive, yeah. you know, to this day. 
And so we really wanted to do our due diligence in collecting those stories, again, to pass down to our members and to the youth that we work with because those stories are valuable. That's gold, in a sense, because you learn what to do and what not to do Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of instances. And in music especially, a lot of this stuff is the same. Technology may evolve, but the attitudes (laughs) and a lot of the the things that take place within the music industry are still the same. So that's still valuable lessons that people can learn from um, hearing those stories. And then our fourth facet, of course, is community engagement through music. And that's where we do the Soulsville USA Festival. We have the the backyard performance space that we just recently announced that we are yeah. enhancing and expanding. Um, and then our other initiatives, like our partnership with Memphis River, uh, River Parks Partner, Memphis River Parks Partnership. Yeah. I always have to like spell out the acronym in my <laughs> head to get it right. Um, when we do the Soulin' on the River concert series there during the summertime to really help promote Soulsville. Because again, we look at it like Soulsville, the neighborhood belongs to the city. So anywhere that we pop up to promote music, still shines a light on the neighborhood and helps the city see it and embrace it more as their own versus, oh, that's that's South Memphis or, oh, that's whatever. No, that's our neighborhood. That's Memphis. That's something that genuinely comes from us, from this neighborhood. So everyone should be prideful, you know, about that. You're just like making this community space and like, you're so passionate when you talk. (laughs) It's very like energetic and I love it so much. Thank you. Um, But like, Basically, like to sum up what you say, like you guys are just making magic happen is what's happening over at Memphis Slim. Like you're I am like very just like taken aback right now because like I'm I'm familiar with you guys. I know you've like worked with us before and you've spoken on a panel for us before. And so like I've heard things, but like I've never gotten to like have this kind of in-depth convo with you. And like just hearing all of that, I'm like, I am always so amazed, like at the kind of, not even just the amount of work but like <laughs> the kind of work we have people in our city doing and leading yes and like I said it's just like magic and I'm so excited because you touched on it a little bit you guys are expanding yes that outdoor space tell me like uh, give us like some inside scoop like when are we expecting it to be done how will the musicians be chosen that play there like just tell me all the things <laughs> yes of course of course so um we we just recently purchased a um, blighted property that was actually located um be- behind memphis slim house okay. and that adds to the excitement because not only do we get to uh increase the value and bring more music to the neighborhood but then we also get to so you know solve another community mm-hmm. issue again is converting a lot of the blighted properties and mm-hmm. figuring out a way to convert those spaces for public use where people can go from complaining about them to enjoying them yeah. and bragging about them in a sense um, and so we're working with this space. It's about a third of an acre, uh, which is about a little bit um, less than 15,000 square feet. We're looking to build out a, a stage and have it cleared out and open um, for performances. Typically, um, we had our outdoor performance space before that only fit about 150 yeah. people. So this will fit about five times more oh, wow. of, of, um, in the space. Um, I'm really excited about that. It's coming in a perfect time because really right now as we this. are you know, working through COVID and trying to figure out the whole indoor versus outdoor thing um and then this gives a another alternative for you know venues and it'll help us um in our mission again to help our, our members and the artists that are here because it'll give them another space to perform um and then of course it'll also give the neighborhood an opportunity to to further um be able to take in you know accessible 
you know, giving, you know, affordable access yeah, to the yeah. art in a sense, um, because that's what our mission was in the backyard initially, um, was to partner with organizations like Opera Memphis, like Hattie Lou, like our neighbors across the street, Stax Music Academy, to provide programming, fee- free programming um, to our neighborhood members who normally would not be able to take those things mm-hmm. in. And so being able to host like one of the 30 days of opera um, performances in the heart of Soulsville in a neighborhood that has high um, high poverty um, where it's very dependent on public transportation. So instead of people, you know, worrying like, how am I going to get to Germantown? Right. How am I going to get to Opera Memphis in a sense or, you know, in that sense? Now it's in the backyard of Slim House. So it takes away, it strips away a lot of the insecurities that that are, you know, revolved around taking in something new for the first time. Like, what am I going to wear? Right. How am I going to afford me and the kids in there? How are we going to get there? Um, once we get there, how, we've never been here. You know, we've never been to an opera before. How do we act? How do we not stand out to where we don't embarrass ourselves? So a lot of those things actually really bar people from experiencing mm-hmm. some type of art form for the first time for just, you know, the fear of doing it wrong yeah. in a sense um and so it's in the backyard you know of course you know you can you know dress like you normally dress unless you don't wear clothes in your backyard <laughs> like because it's so meta but the things that you do in your own backyard how you would dress in your own yeah. backyard you can do it in our backyard without having to worry about being judged or anything like that or worried about you know any type of you know financial status or just all the other you know right. the stuff that comes along with you know prohibiting you from having a good time and really enjoying yourself so we look forward to you know expanding our program adding more content We'll be adding an additional concert series. We typically did one in the fall that preceded the Soulsville USA Festival. So now we'll be doing a fall concert series. Um, Then, of course, the festival. We're looking into movie nights, you know, fall movie nights where people can come and we have some little small campfires and different things like that and show, you know, a film. Um, We're looking at adding some health initiatives like Zumba, like yoga and different things added, um, you know, for people, again, people in the neighborhood to be able to come and not just enjoy music but to to get healthy and to um pay attention to i guess the things that make the neighborhood flourish because we need healthy people of course to come out and enjoy the music um and so adding on to that and then of course we're adding a spring concert series as well um and then the summertime we'll continue to keep our normal programming that we do with solon on the river um downtown while we rent the space out to our members so members will be able to now have their album release parties their listening parties you know or just different things out there as well as the community will be able to rent the space for the needs that they have as well during the summertime and during our off times when we're not doing concerts but everything that we do outside of the stuff that we announce as ticketed you know of course a fundraising we are you know we're not profit so we have to do that the whole fundraising thing but for the most part our spring and fall series and of course the festival is absolutely free for everyone to attend well we love that and you know we have frequently we have guests who are in the arts and culture space and i feel like a, a trend that we continue to hear from folks is one just deepening these collaborations and just yes. hearing that, you know, you guys are working with other arts organizations like Opera Memphis, um, you know, but also working with the Riverfront, Riverfront Partnership and others. Um, but the other trend that I've been noticing, and I'm sure some of this is um, exacerbated by COVID and maybe, you know, if there's a silver lining to a global pandemic, that this notion of how do we help people access art and culture yes. in a way that is affordable, comfortable, where they feel welcome and 
you know, whether that's taking the show on the road, as it were, right. creating these like open community spaces. I think that's, I, you know, I know that we're not hugely unique in this, but I think that Memphis is really leading the way in how we create a, a, a world in which every citizen in Memphis can benefit mm -hmm. from yes. what are true. I mean, like we have some real gems tucked away in our different neighborhoods. We do. Bringing people to the neighborhood, but also bringing the neighborhood to people. I think Right. Well, this is all super exciting. Um, of course, you mentioned that uh, y'all are a nonprofit. Yes. So, well, I'll say this. You've mentioned a lot about what you do and, and how you guys support and help yes. artists, emerging artists. So you might be a musician out there who's interested in receiving some of the resources and, and collabor collaborating in the laboratory. Of the <laughs> <Yes>. laboratory. <laughs> uh, you might be uh, a youth or be, have you know kids in your family or in your network that might benefit from some of the youth programming. Yes. You might... You might just be interested in the history of of soul. Yeah, you might be a nerd like me over yeah. here. Like you can't see my mouth open because mask <laughs> life, but it was open. I promise. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, how can people learn more, give, get involved, sign up, etc.? Yes, of course. You know, um, you can follow us on social media. Um, we are on, um, of course, Facebook as Memphis Slim House. Um, we're on um, Twitter and Instagram as Mem Slim House. That's M-E-M-S-L-I-M-H-O-U-S-E. -E. Um, so you can find us there. You can also find us online at MemphisSlimHouse.org. Um, and then, of course, you can find out more information on the programming um, there. You can also donate. Um, there is a donate <laughs> button. Yes. Um, so if you'd like to contribute to a lot of the wonderful things that you actually just heard me talking about, you know, we're currently fundraising um, for that and in the expansion. Um, so if you'd like to donate and, you know, help the cause you're more than welcome to donate through that platform um you can also contact me at the office it has the information on the website so if you visit the website you can find information on me and the office number and the emails and everything like that um also if you're an organization that um would love to partner with SimHouse in some type of way or discuss programming you know potentially for the out you know the outdoor performance space um i welcome all of that any and all collaborations um and so there's something that you would like to work on please feel free please yeah. reach out to me i would love to i love building you know collaborations especially now you know coming off of covid uh, we need each other more than what we realize and so we don't have to you know operate in our own separate dysfunctional silos mm -hmm. i think it's yep. very important that we all um figure out a way to work with each other and try to collaborate a lot of our efforts especially during this rebuilding time um so yeah if there's anything that you can think of that involves music um and involves soulsville that memphis slim collaboratory can help your organization with again please reach out to me you know for that because we're all about building and of course any you know any efforts that we build is all adding to our mission of helping you know memphis music and the um, the artists that make the music so yeah i'll be sure to like put these resources too we'll all drop them on our social channel yes, as please. well so people can see it and then when we announce the episode as well so awesome. for sure. that's super fun i have a fun question okay before our time with you okay is up because i know you're so inundated in like the music scene if you could tell our listeners one album or song they need to listen to right now after this podcast is over, what would it be? Um, yo. It's hard. I know it's so it's hard. Like, like, okay. This is the spot. <laughs> oh, no. I would say right now, one of the, one of my favorite um, artists um, just released an album. And I'll name him because he's kind of across the board on so many different things. Uh, but Mono Neon, who's, you know, right here from Memphis, he mm. just dropped an album. Um, and if you don't know who he is, um, he's an amazing um, Memphis artist that you know he rejects this I always say he's a viral <laughs> sensation because his videos always go viral but because of those videos he was discovered by Prince 
who invited him to play. So he was Prince's wow. last bass player before he passed away. And now he plays on so many different projects. He was recently just featured at, a, you know, having a jam session with Flea from Hot uh, Red Hot Red Chili, Chili Peppers. Peppers yeah. And so he's yeah, just this, you know, Memphis artist that's just amazing um, in a sense. And so even not to put him in a box, but if you could think of a, a Memphis version of Bootsy Collins, like that's okay. where he would fall. Really awesome artist. So because he had, he just put out a complete project. Okay. Now, if, if it was singles, I can, you know, <laughs> We'd be here I can day. name those all day. <laughs> you know, again, my other hat is, you know, being yes, on WYXR yeah. as well. That's why I needed to you know, <laughs> so, like, so but yeah, if I'd had to name one album, I would say um, go check out that. And okay, yeah, perfect. You heard it here first. So, <laughs> just saying, right, guys. Well, Tanya, thank you. You thank heard you. it from her. She wants to hear from you. So go to memphislimhouse.org. Yes. Catch them on social media. Give Tanya all of your ideas. Thank you, Tanya Dyson, <laughs> for being with us. Thank today. you. It was so thank nice you. to have you. Here. Thank you so Bye. much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, well, we are, that about wraps it up for us for this week's Meanwhile in Memphis episode. Again, I'm Anna Mullins-Ellis here with my teammate, Christy Mullen. We work for New Memphis, a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic for great leaders to develop and empower people across our city to shape Memphis, uh, shape a better future for our city. So um, everything that we do on this podcast uh, kind of bleeds over into all of our work. So every week, I like to just call out a few things that if you found this episode interesting, I think you will also find these upcoming virtual events interesting. Um, I hope that you join New Memphis virtually on February 23rd from noon to 1 p.m., we will kick off a new year with a new perspective. So this is part of our Celebrate What's Right luncheon series. Again, all these are virtual right now to keep everybody safe. This is a series where we explore just what, what success and progress in our community we can really authentically celebrate and lift up. We believe that, you know, what you pay attention to grows. So when we know that something's going well, we have something to be proud of. We really want to shout out from the rooftops. We want to find ways to get all of you guys out listening plugged into that work. Because the thing that I know is that when you find somebody in a corner of the city doing great work, if he, if he has to stay in that corner alone doing the work, it's not going to last forever. So the more we can create advocacy and just awareness of all of these amazing people pushing our community forward. So for this upcoming one on February 23rd, again from noon to 1, we have assembled a panel of local innovators to share why and how Memphis is leading the pack when it comes to cutting-edge ideas, technology, business development, economic development. Memphians are, as I know you guys know, on the move. Uh, and we are again convening this group of people just to see how Memphians are paving a new path, paying it forward, and pioneering for our city across sectors. So we have, as usual, assembled an amazing group of people they're, to speak seriously, on this topic. I am so sorry. I like they are. I'm so excited. I don't think you guys understand. <laughs> like, excited. I'm very excitable in general, but <laughs> they are such good. Like amazing people. So, Anna, please tell us where our panelists are. Well, I, I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, Nicole Thomas is going to moderate the conversation. She is the marketing and communications strategist, uh, a community advocate, a philanthropist, and she's the founder of Nicholas Creative Group. Um, so she, again, is uh, just a powerhouse in her in, in all of those many areas that she <laughs> works in. Um, and so she'll be moderating at a panel, uh, moderating a panel with Susan Dalton, who's the program manager at Innovate Memphis, um, which is a title for an organization I just love because mm -hmm. their work is so interesting in that they truly do just innovate and solve problems. And that might be 
hey, we, the city of Memphis told us they're having trouble with like trash pickup or, hey, we're having, you know, we're trying to figure out how to solve for uh, better public transit. And that's all happening in the uh, walls of Innovate Memphis. So Susan Dalton will speak to that. Milton Howery III, who is a great friend of New Memphis, a graduate, uh, director of public relations at Memphis Tourism, and he's also the founder of the Mil Milton Memphis Entertainment uh, Company. So that's his own little project where he is finding just really unique, and especially now in COVID times, creative ways to bring people together to network and sort of build relationships. Um, and then our, our friend, Jani Rad, who you guys have uh, heard on this podcast and, yes. and radio show if you're a longtime listener. Uh, she is the director of analytics and hospital executive operations at Regional One Health. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, her corporate role, she's also just a facilitator, a trainer, a speaker, an inspiration. Yeah, uh, that's what I was about to say. She's such an inspirational person. <laughs> she is. She's just, she's so like young and dynamic and energetic and it's infectious. Um, but she is the host of the What's On Your Mind podcast. She gave a TED Talk in 2019. So we've heard that on this program. And then our last guest uh, for the panel is Jessica Tavo, who's the interim CEO of Epicenter, which is our community's epicenter. The name is quite uh, appropriate for entrepreneurial resources. They are the ones supporting small businesses and those who are thinking about putting their toe into these small business entrepreneurial water. So Jessica has recently ascended to that role. She is fabulous, also a New Memphis grad, and just somebody who has her finger on the pulse of again, you know, sort of creative and innovative energy in the city. So I know that it's going to be a great conversation. Um, so again, just so we don't, uh, I know you guys might be driving, walking, listening. <laughs> February 23rd, noon to one. If you head over to newmemphis.org, that is where you can find more information. Uh, without me reading it to you, you can see <laughs> who all these panelists are. And please do um, register. Once you RSVP, you can get a link to... The webinar and you'll have access to all of that so we hope you will join us christy what else do our list our dear dear devoted listeners <laughs> need to know before we close out this week well speaking of finding out new and more information like at our website also if you're not following us on social media again i ask you what is wrong with you you should be <laughs> so what you need to do is just go to your computer or your cell phone because who uses a computer anymore? Let's be real. And just go to at the new Memphis on all four major platforms and just hit that little follow button. We keep you um, informed about everything that's going on, all of our events. But we also celebrate our city. We share the good news of Memphis and uplift the good that is being done. Because like Anna said earlier, when you shine a light on the good, it tends to grow. And that's exactly what we're trying to do in Memphis. So give us a little follow again at the new Memphis, all four platforms. And you just need to do that. Do that as soon as you park your car. Okay, thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you again for being with us, whether you're listening on WYXR on Tuesday morning or you're listening after the fact. Uh, we appreciate you. If you have ideas, you can also find us at newmemphis.org. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week, Memphis. Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.